He took a deep breath as he was walking his way up this small dusty pathway. He didn't want to raise too much dust and make himself smooth. He could see the front of his stone house, and as he walked up to the doorway, he ran his fingers over the ancient symbols and set it underneath of his breath. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. As he ducked underneath of the stone transom that was over top of the doorway, he was punched in the stomach by the forehead of an eight-year-old boy who wrapped his arms around him but said absolutely nothing. He hugged his little boy Samuel tight to himself and and dreamed of a day when his little boy might be able to say the word that his father had always dreamed of him saying. He just wanted him to say it out loud. Just call me Abba, Daddy. But he never did. His little boy detached himself and then walked back over to the, to the wooden table where he was playing. And the, the man made eye contact with his wife. And she smiled at him. And as she, she began to pull the bread out of the oven. He could smell it, the braid, the smell. It just smelled so good. And the, the pot of soup that she'd been working on all afternoon. And she took both of those pieces and she laid them out on the wooden table that was directly in front of all of them. And he, he called Samuel over and gestured. And, and they joined together. And before he prayed and bowed his head, he prayed underneath of his breath. Please, God, not tonight. Don't let it happen tonight. So more out of duty than out of conviction, he held his son's hand and he held his wife's hand and he bowed his head and he braced himself and he said the words, El Shaddai. And then that instant, his little boy pushed himself up from the table and became completely stiff. And he fell over and he began to thrash around underneath of the table. And his wife said, quick, grab him before he rolls into the fire. And he jumped over and he picked up Samuel as much as he could. And, and, and he wrapped himself and his little boy was completely stiff in his arms. And he held him, trying to calm him down, trying to rock him back and forth. And his wife looked at him and she didn't say anything, but her eyes communicated everything he needed to hear. Do something. I supposed to do it happens every single night so he held his little boy in his arms and he rocked back and forth and his wife brought him a cold cloth and he wiped away the sweat and the spittle from around his mouth and he wrapped him in a blanket and he rocked back and forth and she kept looking at him and he kept thinking you need to do something you're his father you're his dad you're supposed to know what to do do something. So he did. He got off instead of heading towards the doorway. And she said, where are you going? And he spun around. And he said, bring me the blanket. And he wrapped his son in the blanket. And before he walked out the door and ducked back underneath uh, of the stone doorway, he looked at his wife and he said, I'm going to go try and find a carpenter. Somebody told me that he knows how to deal with it. And I need it out of my son. He turned and just started walking. He walked outside of the, the gate of the city and he saw people beginning to stream by. And, and he started asking the question, have you seen Jesus of Nazareth? My son needs help. Have you seen Jesus of Nazareth? And he didn't like the answer to his question because the answer kept coming back. We, he's not here. He's not here right now. Somebody said he was up on the top of a mountain talking to two dead guys. You should read that part of the story. It's awesome. He can't. What do you mean he's not here? He has to be here. My son, my son is infected with a demon. 
He has to be here. He's got to do something. I need his help right now. Not later on. He needs to do it right now. So he began to ask the questions again. Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? He's not here. He's not here. He's up on a mountain talking to two dead guys. And then the tone of the conversation began to change. And people began to say, we've heard Jesus is actually coming back down from the top of the mountain. And so the dad, knowing if he didn't get to the front of that line, it was never going to happen. And so he began to run. He began to sprint. He sweat. He was breathing quickly as he held his son and carried him in his arms. And he began to walk through it. And, and, and he was running through the crowd trying to get to the front of whatever line there was. He began to hear, hear people arguing, religious people and the followers of Jesus just sniping back and forth at each other. And he thought and he said, why are you guys arguing? My son needs help. He heard a voice off to his right hand side that asked the question, what are you people arguing about? And there was something about the voice that just drew him in that direction and so he began to walk towards the sound of the voice and all of a sudden he found himself directly in, in, in a gaping hole in the middle of the crowd and as he stumbled out into the center of it he came face to face with a man he was a carpenter and he said teacher i brought you my son That's where we run into Mark chapter 9. The man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son. This is an entire story about disappointment. If you've ever been disappointed in God, you're going to be glad you came to me. And if you would say that you've never been disappointed in God, I will be so bold as to call you a liar. Or at least in denial at some level. This is a story of disappointment. Let me unpack it for you. The man's disappointed in Jesus. He's disappointed in Jesus. Teacher, I brought you my son and you weren't here. I needed help and you didn't show up on time. I had a schedule. I had an agenda and you weren't here at the right time. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had a moment when you think God needed to show up on your timeline, on your schedule, and he didn't show up? So in your brain, you, you made a simple deduction. God doesn't care. He's asleep at the wheel, and he doesn't know what's going on in my life. That's not true. But maybe you've been there. The father is disappointed in Jesus. I needed you here, and you weren't here. You were up on the top of a mountain talking to two dead guys. What's up with that? Keep going. I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. The man's not only disappointed in Jesus, he's also disappointed in the followers of Jesus, his disciples. Anybody else in the room ever been disappointed by the followers of Jesus? Oh my goodness. If you have not been disappointed, just wait. Because I can share something with you about the followers of Jesus. They're human just like you. They make mistakes. They sin. They will disappoint you. Get used to it. The man's disappointed in the disciples of Jesus. Can I make an appeal to you, to those of you who walked in the door today believing that all of the followers of God are pretty much the same. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. And if you could put them in a category, uh, at the top of the category would probably be the word typical. Can I say something? Can I make an appeal to you today? Don't judge Jesus based on his followers. Judge Jesus based on Jesus. He will not disappoint you. Let's keep going. 
Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. The father is disappointed in Jesus. He's disappointed in the disciples. Jesus is disappointed in the lack of faith. And we're so quick to dismiss ourselves and go, all those people, man, when are they going to get their act together? When was the last time that we may have created some disappointment in our own lives because we didn't follow the way we should have? I wonder whether or not Jesus is speaking to more than just the people in that little circle. I wonder whether or not he's speaking to the people of Christ the King. Can I translate the ancient Aramaic to you when Jesus says, oh, you unbelieving generation? This is what he's saying in modern terms. Really? Really? You need more proof. I fed 5,000 people from a happy meal. I walked on water. The blind can see, the deaf can hear, the lame can walk, and you guys still don't believe me. Really? And we're so quick to go, oh, no, no, we believe. Really? What about the time when he protected us and we ignored him? What about the time when he answered prayer and we took it for granted? What about the time when he showed up at exactly the right place at exactly the right time and we were too distracted by our own idolatry that we didn't even see him when he was right in front of us? Oh, unbelieving generation. Jesus is disappointing the lack of faith. Let's keep going. Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus. Let's stop there for a second. The demon's disappointed that Jesus showed up. I love that part of the story, right? It's like, oh no, this is not going to go well for me at all. The Bible tells us demons know exactly who Jesus is. So you can imagine, you're a demon doing your demon thing on your regular demon day. You're freaking out kids, you're eating deviled eggs, you're doing whatever demons do, you know. And, and you're freaking out little kids and then one day a desperate father wraps his son in a blanket and goes looking for a carpenter and you know who that carpenter is. That carpenter is the son of God. And when the son of God tells a demon to go to hell, that's what happens. I love that part of the story. When the spirit saw Jesus, this is not going to go well for me at all. You have no idea. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. And he fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood he has been like this. I think the father's disappointed in his answer. It's been a long time, Jesus. Ever since I can remember, all we needed to do was say your name and it would grab a hold of him and throw him on the ground. And it's broken our heart day after day, night after night, and we're pretty much through. If you're a parent, and you've ever begged God to give you the fever that your son or daughter has in the middle of the night, you know exactly what this guy feels like. If you've ever prayed that heartbreaking prayer, God, I'll take the cancer, I'll take the brain tumor, I'll take all of it, just leave my child alone, you know exactly what this father is feeling like in that moment. He's been this way since childbirth. And God, we're really trying to keep going. From childhood, he answered, it's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help. 
us. I believe the father's disappointed in his own lack of faith. Because you can hear it in there. If you can do anything, God, I want to believe that you can do something. Carpenter, I really want to believe that you can touch somebody, that you can fix this, that you can fix that. But I'm terrified to even consider the idea because it just kind of freaks me out. I love Jesus' answer. The math father says, but if you can help us, take pity on us, help us. And the answer of Jesus is, if I can. If I can. <laughs> Do you have any idea who you're dealing with? Can I? Yes, I can. Will I? Let's find out as we walk through the story. I think the father is desperately disappointed in his lack of faith. But don't you love the fact that he's a lot like us? God, I want to believe, but honestly, it's been so long, I've almost given up hope. God, I desperately want to believe, but the truth is, after what happened last weekend, everything just kind of got turned upside down, and Lord, I just don't know if I've got it in me anymore. But if you could help me, would you take pity on me and help me? And Jesus says the same thing to us, if I could. Just watch this. Let's keep going. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. We're going to come back to that. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and dumb spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Let me give you a modern translation. Excuse me, demon. Get out and stay out. The door is closed when it comes to this little kid. Off you go. You're done. Amen. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. Then the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. Can we just stop there just for a second? Can you imagine the story that that little boy and that dad told going home that night? That little boy who hadn't spoken a word because of that demon that was inside of him that stole his tongue and stole his hearing. All of a sudden, it was gone, and that little boy was going to make up for lost time. You wouldn't believe it. My daddy took me to a carpenter, and he set me free. He set me free. My daddy helped, but it wasn't my dad. It was Jesus. Can you imagine the dad's story? My little boy, every single night, same story, same story. But then we met a carpenter, and everything changed. If you're not careful, you'll miss the last little section of the story because there's still disappointment going on. Verse 28, after Jesus has gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? The disciples are disappointed in themselves. I mean, Jesus, we've been kicking out demons for a long time here. That's a part of our shtick, right? You know, we're the original Ghostbusters, right? This one just kind of laughed at us and taunted us. What was the deal with that? Why didn't we get to fulfill that element of our job description? And Jesus answers with some fascinating words. This kind can only come out by prayer. Some of your translations say prayer and fasting. We'll get to that in just a second. I love this story. 
I love this story because it's human. I love this story because it's a dad and a son. I love this story because it's a story where there's plenty of disappointment to go around. And if you've ever been disappointed in God because he didn't show up or he didn't do what you thought he was going to do, then you can completely relate to everything that we just talked about here for the last 20 minutes or so. But I would love for a second, can we just circle back for a moment? Because there's so much in here that I think God wants us to see and know and hear. Do you hear the request? It just jumps off the page in the middle of the story. Do you hear the request that Jesus says? I think he's saying it to more than the Father. I think he's saying it to every single person who's ever been disappointed at some level. And the request is this. Bring the boy to me. You bring your most heartbreaking prayer request to me. Don't bring him to the self-help section of Barnes & Noble. Don't take him to Dr. Phil. You know, you kind of like him. Don't take him to those alternatives. You bring your most heartbreaking moment of your life, and you bring it to me. I know nothing is more important, so that means there's a wide open door today at Christ the King. You bring your broken marriage to Jesus. You bring your struggling business to Jesus. You bring your college applications to Jesus. You don't know which ones he'll say yes to, which ones he'll say no to, but you're going to have to have faith. You bring your shattered dream to Jesus. You bring your prodigal son or daughter to Jesus. You bring your fertility issue and your miscarriages and you bring them to Jesus. You bring the request that you stopped praying about 15 years ago because you didn't get an answer and you were just exhausted and didn't know that you could continue on. You bring that to Jesus. You bring that prayer request that got you all in a knot because God said no or God said slow or God said grow. And you got yourself all wrapped up in a knot because you wanted an instant answer and the only one you were going to deal with was yes. You take that and all of the disappointment that was revolving around that particular heartbreaking moment in your life and you bring it to him because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We talk about the way and the life a lot. Can we talk about the truth for just a second? Because here's the truth that Jesus lays out in the middle of this story, and it's so crucial for any all of us to get it. Everything is possible for him who believes. Be careful with the story. Don't take that line and put it on a t-shirt unless you know exactly what it means. It says everything is possible, not everything is guaranteed. Do we get that piece? Not everything is guaranteed. Because there are things that I want God to guarantee. God, this is what I want. I want a 401k, a secure job. I want a paycheck every week. I need at least a 52-inch flat screen or I'm just not, you don't love me if it's anything smaller than that. I need instant coffee, 182 degrees every single time that I have it. I mean, this is what I need. And God goes, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not guaranteed. Everything is possible to him who believes. Somehow we get this in our mind that the instant we say it, God's going to deliver. My friends, can I tell you something from experience? It rarely works that way. Because not only is God dealing with what's happening in your broken world, he's also dealing with that broken part of you. And sometimes what's best is no slow or grow. Father, been praying for a long time. 
If everything was guaranteed, there would be absolutely no need to trust him. And that's what God wants. God needed the dad to do that. You're going to need to trust me with your boy. The Bible doesn't tell us this happened, but this is the way I picture it in my mind. When Jesus said, bring the boy to me, I think he went like this with his hands. Like, you're going to have to hand him over. You're going to have to hand over the addiction. You're going to have to hand over the worst part of you. You're going to have to hand over the disappointed part of you. That's how this works. I've illustrated this with you many times before. Great big white sheet of paper, and we go and fill out all of the qualifications, right? God, I need a secure house. I'm going to need a nice spouse. I'm going to need, you know, retirement, uh, a fund that's just overflowing. I'm going to need all of these good things. This is my plan for life. And then we slide that paper across the desk and say, Jesus, could you endorse right down here? And Jesus goes, uh, no. Do you know who you're dealing with? And we are shocked and somewhat offended when God takes a clean sheet of paper and he slides it back across the desk of our life and says, this is how it works. You endorse your name at the bottom and I'll fill in all the details. That's how it works. Creates a problem, right? I love the fact that the father is brave enough to talk about the problem. Here's the problem. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. God, I believe, but help that unbelieving part of me that can't see a way out. God, I believe, but help that unbelieving part of me that gave up on my marriage 15 years ago. God, I believe, but help that unbelieving part of me that doesn't trust you with the college. I want to pick that. God, I believe, but help that unbelieving part of me that just doesn't know where to turn with this particular illness because I'm lost and I'm broken. God, I believe you can break the addiction. Help the unbelieving part of me that doesn't believe I'm ever going to get free of this thing that just has these grips inside of me. God, help the unbelieving part of me that struggles to believe in what I can't see. Can we just be honest? It's hard to believe in something you can't see. I believe. But God, I need help because honestly, not believing seems so much more normal. But God, I got nowhere else to turn. And I'm desperate. Can I tell you something? You know what I believe is one of the critical parts of this particular story. It's the fact that the dad was desperate. God moves in the midst of desperation. Has anybody else noticed that? It's when we're desperate. And Jesus makes a declaration at the end of the story. We almost miss it because it's a bit of a byline. We, we see what happens with the father and the son and we watch them go and, and they, they kind of walk off into the sunset and we feel so good about it. And then there's a little side conversation where the disciples go, you know, I just don't understand why we couldn't kick the thing out. And Jesus says, this kind can only be dealt with through prayer and fasting. He makes that declaration and he's teaching us. Effective prayer is motivated by desperation. God, the doctors can't fix my wife's eyes. So you're going to have to. Because I'm desperate. God, there are males chasing my daughter. <laughs> and I'm not allowed to murder them. So I'm going to need your help. God, my son is sick. Possessed by a demon. And I don't know where else to turn. 
if you can do anything, take pity on us, God. Effective prayer is motivated by desperation, and it comes with an attitude of complete dependence that says, God, I've got nowhere else to turn, and it also comes with an action, and there is power in asking. There's power in asking, and there's power in believing that God can answer any way that He wants to. There's a word for that in Scripture. It's called faith. Faith is what drives us to say, I don't understand, and it doesn't make sense, but I'm coming and I'm asking, and God, I believe that you want what's best for me in this situation. And so God, whatever is best, whatever brings you the most glory, even if that means pain, even if that means hurt, even if that means disappointment, I am willing to receive that from you because I believe. Help my unbelief. great story in there. I just love it. So what's the application? We're going to do something a little different this morning. Some of you are looking at your watches, freaking out, going, he's not going to bring the band out again, is he? Um, no, we're not. We worshiped. We communed. We gave, we prayed. We learned. Sounds like church to me. So I got a question for you today, church. What do you need to bring to Jesus? I mean, I know that doesn't seem so theologically deep or astute, but maybe it really, really is. What do you need to bring to Jesus? What was the thing that, that you tried to check at the door, but you followed you in this morning? What was the thing that kept you awake until 3 o'clock last night? What's the addiction that's got you completely bound up in chains and you're wondering if you're ever going to be free? What's the illness that's driving you crazy because you're not going to get a diagnosis until Tuesday or Wednesday? What's that prayer request? What's the scary one that you don't even have the courage to share with anybody else in the room because it's just too terrifying to say it out loud? What do you need to bring to Jesus? The dad brought the most precious thing he had, his son, to Jesus and said, would you help me with this? What do you need to bring to Jesus? So here's how we're going to wrap up today. In a few moments, I'm going to pray, and then we're not going to have a contest, okay? It's not a contest. It's an opportunity. Up here across the front are stacks of Little white cards and pens. And if you have it, whatever it is, maybe you put it down 20 years ago because you just ran out of spiritual steam. And maybe today you need to pick it up again. Maybe you prayed about it last night. And the tears are still flowing and you're heartbroken because you've been somewhat disappointed in God's timetable. Whatever it is, would you be willing to write it down? Now I want to be careful that we're biblical about this. The Bible does not say at the end of this story that Jesus said, sometimes these can only be dealt with by writing it on a small piece of paper and placing it in a bowl under a cross in a church in Bellingham, Washington. That's not what Scripture says. This kind can only come out, be dealt with, 
through prayer. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to come forward and write whatever it is on that piece of paper. And then before you take it over here and lay it on top of that already growing pile from the last two services underneath of the cross on this side, I'm going to ask you to hold that card in your hand and pray this simple prayer over it. I believe. Help my unbelief. I declare that I believe in an act of faith. Help my unbelief. Because my unbelief usually starts about Monday. And I struggle. But God, help the unbelieving part of me to believe that you knew what I wrote on this card before my pen even touched the paper. Help me to believe that the same Jesus who touched that little boy knows intimately about it. So God, I'm bringing it back to you again. If it doesn't make sense, let's call it faith. And we're going to leave it in the hands of the carpenter. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we love you. We believe, God, help our unbelief. Help our unbelief that says the cancer's it, that there's no hope. Lord, we believe today that you are more than able, that you are greater than our most broken place. So, Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Help us to not just pray today, but to re-engage and pray again and again and again and again, knowing, God, we're desperate and have nowhere else to turn. So, Father God, in this moment, would your Holy Spirit come and invade this space? Would you invade us with authenticity and transparency and hope and tears and laughter? God, would you come and may we know that in placing that request in that bowl is our way of saying we believe God. Help our unbelief. And I pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In the name of of the demon-fighting carpenter. And all God's people agreed together and said. So we're going to quietly play some music. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. If you'd just like to have a conversation with somebody, could you take that to the commons? This is a worship center. That's what we call it. But this morning, can we go old school? This is a sanctuary, and we don't want God's voice to have to compete with yours. So we're just going to let it be quiet and reflective, and if you just want to sit and pray, great. If you want to come and fill out a card and bring it here, great. If you need to slip out, no problem. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Mark chapter 9. Hope it was worth your time. Bless you.